This is an audio reading from Red Pill Junkie. It was recorded in Mexico City with producer Edward Muller. You will be hearing the foreword to my most recent book, Hidden Experience, a memoir of owls, synchronicity, and UFO contact. The rest of the audiobook is read by the author, and that's me, Mike Cleland. Now, I need to say I am deeply honored and humbled for this wonderful essay. And now, the voice of Red Pill Junkie. Forward by Red Pill Junkie. It's a question you occasionally stumble upon when you read an article about UFOs published by some mainstream media outlet. Or where have all the alien abductees gone? You know, the same news sites that also love to comment from time to time on the steady decline of UFO sightings. Only with the phenomenon currently known as alien abduction, the cynicism is even more blatant, because at best, popular culture regards it as a 90s fad promoted by the X-Files, which the public eventually grew tired of. The same way rollerblades and Tamagotchi pets became passé. And at worst, it's still associated with crass proctological jokes, thanks to the irreverent humor of Matt Stone and Trey Parker. But truth be told, answering that question is rather easy. The abductees didn't go anywhere. They simply discovered the power of the internet and started blogging. A path that hid them from the judgmental eyes of a public who never really made an effort to make sense of their claims or empathize with their anguish. From skeptics who accused them of lying and being nothing but attention seekers. And from psychiatrists who sought only to interpret their claims merely from a pathological perspective. In an age that has witnessed significant advancements in accepting the rights of the LGBT community, the people who claim to have had close encounters of the fourth kind seem to be locked inside the ultimate cultural closet. As an aside, it's also interesting to notice certain parallels in the search for identity of both groups like the infighting concerning the correct use of terms and pronouns, like, for example, experiencer versus abductee versus contactee. Blogging also freed abductees, or experiencers, whatever floats your saucer, from the need of sharing their stories with some intermediary in order to reach a larger audience. I am of the opinion that these biased middlemen, be that a UFO investigator or a TV producer, are often more interested in trying to pigeonhole witnesses' brushes with the other in a way that validates a specific interpretation or make the cases more palatable to orthodox science. Which ultimately implies leaving on the cutting floor a treasure trove of important material often referred to as high strangeness, a whitewashing strategy that was heavily opposed by the late researcher Carla Turner, who thought it is precisely in the absurdity of high strangeness 
that we could start perceiving a method to the madness. It bears mentioning that focusing on the things that refuse to align with our neat little models of the universe is the most effective way to elicit a true paradigm change, if not necessarily the easiest. In the history of science, we find the example of Johannes Kepler, who was only able to establish the elliptical orbits of the planets after begrudgingly heeding Tycho Brahe's advice to pay special attention in the retrograde motion of Mars. In doing so, he was forced to throw away his entire initial theory. Ouch! but ended up giving birth to modern astronomy as we currently know it. Yay! It is this taboo material of high strangeness, only shared in hushed tones among trusted friends or fellow experiencers behind closed doors, that Mike Clellan was compelled to deep dive into with his blog 10 years ago, not even knowing if he would ever strike bottom or hold his breath long enough. I'm not exactly sure when I started following Hidden Experience, but I know exactly how I became one of its regular followers. Greg Bishop, who is one of my best friends and mentors in the UFO field, wrote about Mike on the now-defunct website UFO Mystic, where he was one of the contributors along with Nick Redfern. Greg was very close to the late Mactonis, who found Mike's journal entries almost from the beginning. So it's easy to conclude Mac was the one who enthusiastically advised Greg to check out this new blog. Greg recently told me that he liked Mike's content from the start, because it was, quote-unquote, firmly in the Striver tradition. As an avid reader and commenter in UFO Mystic and other paranormal sites, I followed Greg's recommendation to visit Hidden Experience, and found out he was right. Mike was following Whitley Strieber's mantra of living with the uncertainty of what had happened to him, and refusing to simply accept the narratives imposed by investigators like Bud Hopkins and David Jacobs. I confess, Mike's strict agnosticism toward his own story was at times frustrating, and I'm sure I'm not the only reader who fantasized about giving that big bald head of his a good slap while yelling, snap out of it and just admit it already. I guess the universe did the same in the end, using owls instead. Yet in retrospect, I'm so ever thankful he soldiered on with his approach, and also that to this day, he still finds the terms abductee and experiencer as incapable to fully encapsulate the totality of what he's been going through as a glass of water is an ill-suited representation of the ocean. But there was also something else which I still can't put my finger on, that made Mike's story so compelling to me on a personal level. Perhaps it was the disarming honesty about his own doubts, and the willingness to share his life with such openness on a public space to the point that hidden experience almost seemed like an oxymoron. 
because this dude was laying it all exposed. Major cojones, señor. Or perhaps because the central theme behind his blog posts wasn't really UFOs, but synchronicities. And at the time, I was starting to pay attention to the magical coincidences manifesting into my own life, which even seemed to have also been boosted by my increasing immersion into cyberspace. Indeed, if the ancestral I Ching should be better understood as a quote-unquote uncertainty engine rather than a divination system, as was proposed by philosopher Will Buckingham on an Aeon essay published in 2013, then perhaps the World Wide Web should also be perceived as a living synchronicity engine rather than an electronic communications network. An acknowledgement that would resonate with Dr. Jacques Vallée's theories that ours is an associative universe governed by consciousness and information, rather than a causative one governed by reductionist physics. Or maybe it was simply because Mike wasn't pretending to have the answers to life, the universe, and everything, but merely chronicling his bizarre memories as faithfully as was humanly possible, offering an honest lens into the life of a person who was going through events that seemed masterfully designed to challenge his concept of reality in ways that were as both subtle as they were confounding, without claiming to have any sort of guidance to anyone who might be going through the same ordeal as he was, other than opening yourself completely to the mystery. The anti-guru if you will. Certainly a breath of fresh air in a field in which looking for a leader is a big temptation. Right, Dr. Steven? Whatever the case, I was hooked on hidden experience, baby. I checked on the blog every day to see if there were any updates and to also comment and read the feedback left by other people. Ah, the good old days before Facebook killed the Blockstar. Turns out, I wasn't the only one who felt mysteriously drawn to Mike's serialized saga. And the small flock of readers, see what I did there, eventually turned into Legion after the Google Oracle associated hidden experience as the go-to place to find UFOs in conjunction with owls. With Mike's inclusion of wonderful artwork and maps to illustrate his posts, it sometimes felt as if we were taking part of a virtual 4D session of Dungeons and & Dragons, and we're all desperately trying to keep the paladin Sir Clellan safe from the claws of the Demogorgon on his quest for the Grail. And yeah, Sometimes we wanted to shove him into that creepy dark cave just to see once and for all what was lurking inside. Seriously though, what I really think was going on is that Mike's intention of using his online journal as a self-therapy tool was not only spot on, but was also working on us, the readers, as well. Hermeneutics 
is a branch of philosophy dealing with finding the hidden meaning of things. The word itself is derived from Hermes, Greek god of secrets and expensive ties. And in the book The Supernatural, co-written with Whitley Strieber, Professor Jeffrey Kripal argues that the very act of interpreting a hidden symbol, say, an owl or a UFO, transforms the interpreter itself. The cipher becomes the catalyst. You see, if Carl Jung were alive today, I honestly believe that he too would have resorted to blogging instead of creating that mammoth-illuminated manuscript called the Red Book to deal with his personal mental and spiritual crisis. Because in the end, that is probably what this is all about. And just like I agree with Mike that synchronicities are the universe's method to make you stop and pay attention, I also suspect that when it comes to the paranormal, nothing occurs by mere chance. By that I mean you should probably ponder on the possibility that it's no accident you happen to have this audiobook on the electronic gadget of your choice right now, dear listener. Hey, was that an owl that just hooded near your window right this moment? Any psychology undergrad is familiar with Maslow's Pyramid of Human Motivation, which shows the primal physiological needs at the base and climbs up until it apexes with self-actualization and the person's need to realize their own potential. What few people know is that not long before he died, Maslow revised his diagram and on top of self-actualization, he included self-transcendence. Writing about it for the website Big Think, Robbie Berman explains that we can understand that final developmental step as the need to, quote, see ourselves as part of a bigger universe to develop the common priorities that can allow humankind to survive as a species, end quote. We could also use a less pompous term and simply understand it as having a quote-unquote sense of a mission, just like Mike and others like him claim, in which case even someone who may be on the fence about his story could still see the positive benefits of his ongoing introspective examination. Or maybe the urgency Mike felt when he started to type on his computer screen in the spur of the moment in March of 2009, had some deeper ulterior motive that we are yet to fathom. In which case, I'm only 73% joking when I say that I hope that by recording this foreword, Mike can put in a good word for me when the mothership lands. Red Pill Junkie, recorded in Mexico City, January 2020.